Welcome back to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. This week, we're revisiting our episode marking the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. Although it has been seven and a half decades, the trauma of the Holocaust persists. We turn now to taking a closer look at the challenges facing survivors and their families. Struggles made harder because of misconceptions. People believe that all the Holocaust survivors are going to be gone in five years. But we know now that many children survived the Holocaust and were children during the Holocaust. And um, they could be as young as 75 or 76 today. So that is one of the biggest myths. The other myth is that all families were incredibly, quote, damaged. That is Jenny Frumer. She's the Director of Strategic Initiatives of Next Generations in West Palm Beach, Florida. She spent three decades working to offer trauma-informed services to families. Two years ago, Next Generations co-sponsored a conference with the University of Miami Medical School to explore how science can help answer a question at the center of an emerging field, epigenetics. Can trauma be passed across generations? For Frumer, the conference was not just about sharing information. It was to also dispel myths and share stories that inspire. And what we've learned is that families, while they were trauma-exposed, and the implications of that uh, are really multi-generational, resilience is not spoken about enough when we talk about trauma exposure and particularly Holocaust survivors who survive just the most incredible, incomprehensible atrocities. For families of survivors, the story is complicated. Stephanie Schweike did not attend the conference, but she has connected with support groups for survivors. Stephanie's mom was one of the children of the Holocaust that Jenny Frumer described. My personal narrative was the Holocaust. My mom's parents were survivors. My mom was actually born in a displaced person camp in 1946. So I was first generation on my mom's side, Canadian. My dad's family came over from Russia before the war. But I grew up with a very, very deep, dark landscape of sort of remnants from the Holocaust. My grandmother never integrated into North American society. She only spoke Yiddish to my brothers and I, and was always a very kind of sad and complicated figure in my life. Mm. My parents are wonderful. They did, my mom specifically did the best she could Mm -hmm. with a really tough load of baggage that she had to carry. I mean, she she truly was a child of Holocaust survivors and was born into a really abysmal, tough, complicated, dark place. So despite the fact that there was always a little bit of a pal of sadness, I led a very happy childhood. David Kupfer is a licensed clinical psychologist who specializes in trauma-informed therapy. He grew up outside Richmond, Virginia, and now practices in the D.C. suburbs in Falls Church, Virginia. He is the son of a Holocaust survivor. My father was a medical doctor. He was born in a little town in Poland, the same little town my mother was born in, Andomiesz, which is a little town on the Vistula River, the main river that flows through Poland. And my father got a medical degree in Prague before World War II. 
He went to Prague for medical school because they weren't admitting Jews in the Polish medical schools at that time. And when the war began in Europe in 1939, my father was forcibly evacuated. What does that mean exactly? It means the Russians needed your help because you were a valuable professional. He was a doctor. You weren't drafted into the Russian army. He wasn't a prisoner of the Russian army. He was told, you're coming with us. And he had a choice. He had a, a wife and a daughter. And he chose to do what made sense to him at the time, which is to leave them behind with family in Poland rather than take them into Russia. And he never saw them again. He came back from Russia at the end of the war and found that his wife, daughter, brother, sister, mother, father, and many other relatives had all been killed. He then re-encountered my mother, who he'd grown up with in Sandomierz, and my mother's family had survived intact, which was a, a rare miracle, and they decided after the war to get married. That story of being drafted, leaving behind your wife and children and family, fully expecting to have them there when you return. I can't even imagine what he must have gone through. What was it like growing up in your home? There was a, a kind of paradox or bind that many children survivors can tell you about. There was a, a message sent to us simply by the names we had. I'm named after my grandfather, David, and my uncle, Leon, my father's father, my father's brother. They were two of the six million Jews who died in the Holocaust. When you're born with that name, your parents kind of expect you to re be replacements for people you can't replace. There's a loss that we were born to help deal with, and we're not up to it. All we can do is live one good life. Another way to look at the double message that children of survivors get is that if your parents wanted you to be close to them, you had to be close to someone who may have been traumatized, depressed, anxious. But they also told you to be happy. that They survived not for you to be depressed, but to be a happy person. So it was kind of confusing in a way. I learned how to reassure anxious people. Growing up in Montreal, Stephanie is grateful for the privileges she enjoyed, but she reflects on her mother's struggles with a new understanding. I was fortunate. My parents put everything they could financially and love and otherwise into raising my brothers and I. But I think I also grew up with a mother who was emotional and, and a little, you know, I guess the classic neurotic Jewish mother but there were reasons behind it. It mm -hmm. wasn't just this pathology of the neurotic Jewish mother. It's real. And I think if we dig into why my mother was the way she was and frankly is the way she is, I understand it. I didn't always. And I think oftentimes we, we become a little bit contrarian. My mom raised us a certain way. I, I saw my mom cry a lot. Mm -hmm. I saw my mom's emotions not entirely um, in check. And that scared me. That was a very scary thing for uh, a child to see. Yeah. And I always felt safe. It wasn't a question of safety. It was just emotionally very fragile. And so raising my three children, I almost feel like I have to be super compartmentalized and buttoned up because I don't want to put my kids through those feelings. Does trauma travel across generations as new epigenetic research on Holocaust and genocide survivors may suggest? 
For David and Stephanie, they see it as not just plausible, but entirely possible, reflecting on their own experiences and families. I know that the anxiety and the stress has is part of my DNA. And, you know, whether that's been proven or not, I, I can't speak to that. But in, in the years of going to therapy and address what my daughter is dealing with, mm-hmm. it's something that has been brought up and talked about. And I know that there's there is some research on it. And I, I firmly do believe that part of, you know, the pathology of anxiety and 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 what I feel maybe I'd like to take credit for some of the positive things that I passed on to my children. Mm-hmm. There is there is uh, some anxiety that we're dealing with. And I do believe that could come from generations later of feeling the impact of, of that horrific experience. I know that I have my own struggles with anxiety and depression, you know, just like my mother did. And I do believe that it's inherited. There is some rather new research in the last few years that shows that possibly it's not just that your parents are anxious in the way they raise you. It's not just psychological transmission of trauma from one generation to the next. It may be genetic. It may be physiological that the same expression of genes is seen in parents who survive trauma themselves and in the next generation, in their children. Mm. So we're not sure of it yet, but there's research that says it's not just psychologically transmitted. It's physiologically, genetically transmitted trauma from one generation to the next. For Stephanie and David, the effects of trauma are still an unknown area, and coping is essential. But what's most important in their minds is resilience. If you're going to describe the generation on part of the children of survivors as traumatized, you've got a good point. We are. But yet it's very important to me that you also see us as an inspired generation or a resilient generation. Again, we know two things. We don't just know that our we're anxious and depressed after being traumatized. We know that they made it and moved on to successful new lives after such a huge loss. We, we know that trauma does carry to the next generation. How? We certainly know that people who are traumatized are parents uh, of a certain kind. Like my mother was an anxious, overprotective parent who didn't let me like spend the night at other kids' houses. So my mother, understandably, was a a fearful person who wanted more than anything else to protect me. My father was more worldly, you know, had been to medical school, traveled more than my mother. He was older. He was a bit you know, distant or dissociated, you might say. He loved me, but there was a look he had in his eyes when he would look at me. I always felt like he was looking just past me. And it was only after he died that I learned, almost by accident, that he'd had a first family who died. When I learned that, it helped me understand that look. I understood why he may have been looking past me. And I really felt for him. I, I realized how much pain and loss he had experienced and how amazingly impressive his post-war life was. He had to adapt to a whole new medical system, a whole new country, a new language, and he did very well professionally. So it gave me immense respect for him. It gave me a lot of empathy for him, and it made me aware that people are resilient. Mm -hmm. That I know. 
For Stephanie, teaching her children about the experience, grounding them in an understanding of what their grandmother and great-grandmother have survived, is deeply important and has an urgency. I definitely share stories about what my grandmother went through, and I did bring Josh at a really, he's my oldest, he's 17. We went to Israel for the first time when he was nine, and we went to Yad Vashem, and I I went through the museum with him wow. and took him through the Children's Memorial. What which did that, was, what, how did he react? He freaked out. And it was probably not one of my stronger, most <laughs> intelligent parenting, parenting moves. Hey. But I felt like I didn't know the next time we were going to be there. Mm-hmm. And I strongly want my children to know where they come from, mm-hmm. the story of their grandmother. And it, it has, I, I, I believe it has impact on them. David has grown children, but he, too, feels the urgency to share lessons with young people. So he volunteers at the United States Holocaust Museum. Unfortunately, the human race keeps turning out more and more genocides. You know, the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum opened in 1993. What happened in Rwanda one year later? Genocide. What happened in Cambodia during the 70s? Genocide. A few months ago, I gave a tour of the museum to to Rohingya Muslims who have been the victim of genocide. So we have more and more people, maybe more awareness that you know trauma happens in many, many families, that genocide victims you know, are out there needing help, needing safe havens. And hopefully we as therapists have learned a little bit more about how to help them. For Stephanie, it's more than not forgetting. It's leaning in to her Jewish identity. It's really educating and learning and never forgetting. I mean, that's really the idea behind it. It's never forgetting. And I think about, you know, how I carry myself. I am very, very proud to be Jewish. And it's something that I feel I went to Jewish day school. It's a big part of who I am. And maybe if I dig into it, I am always a little bit afraid of someone saying something that is offensive, so I'm putting it out there first. I have had comments through the years that have been off-putting and anti-Semitic in nature that, you know, I've spoken out about. But I do think that the sensitivities that I have, because it is so sensitive to me, has really kind of defined me into who I am today as being very, very outwardly and very proud to be Jewish and really strongly wanting to educate as much as I can. Hmm. The incident that happened in Pittsburgh, Tree the of Tree Life. of Life, my children go to Hebrew school, and I'll never forget this. I mean, this obviously speaks to bigger issues than anti-Semitism and, and, and what's what other stuff's going on in this country, but especially someone like me who didn't grow up in this country, I distinctly remember sharing this with my daughter who is, you know, she was nine at the time. And when I told her what happened, she she said, and this this broke my heart, she said, I hate this country. Mm. And, you know, she really, she's actually my child I mentioned that has anxieties. She was scared. I had to then send her to Hebrew school the next day. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the solution is that we go underground. I don't think the solution is that we shy away from it. I don't think the solution for me is that I shy away from being who I am. A lot of who I am is rooted in where I come from. If there's anything that I can take away and try and put an, a positive on is my my willingness to sort of dig deep and to try to have those conversations and really 
continue those conversations with my children because that is really the root of it is just never forgetting and to make sure that what's happened in the past and what is happening today doesn't continue to happen throughout the world. Both see the potential of memory to traumatize and heal. The downside to remembering trauma is that you can be overwhelmed by it. It could make you feel like a victim. It could make you feel worthless. It can make you feel guilty. It can make you feel like you deserved to be hurt, traumatized, taken advantage of. The upside is if you can tell your story of a trauma to an understanding audience, you know, trauma shared is trauma healed. When I go to work, I enter my office often with someone who's been traumatically hurt, whether it's sexual assault or physical abuse or something, and I know that they can overcome their problems. They may not know it. I know it because my parents did it. That's all for this week. Our episode was produced by Kevin McCarthy, and we are grateful to our founder, Maureen Fiedler, and MC Yogi for our theme music. Friends, we're launching a book club, and I would like to invite you to join me. It'll be a chance to connect, share, and learn from one another. To learn more, sign up for our newsletter at interfaithradio.org. I'm your host and executive producer, Umbreen Khan. Wherever you are, I hope you are safe and that you stay connected. We will see you next week. <laughs>